0: Hello once again. We're back. Thanks for joining me here at the Content Strategy Podcast. It has been really something else to see everybody's reaction and enthusiasm and excitement about the podcast being back in action. Thank you so much for your tweets and your LinkedIn shares and all the nice things that you are saying and I am so excited and honored by the folks that I've already spoken to and the folks that we're going to be speaking to, and I can't wait for you to meet them. I especially can't wait for you to meet today's fantastic guest. I first heard about Helen, I think via, on Twitter somewhere, which is where I hear about everything because apparently it is my sole source of news and joy and sadness and whatever else. Twitter. Join now. Helen has been, I also heard her name on the lips of every content designer I know in the UK. Her work is really on the rise and being celebrated across a variety of groups and events. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Helen and then we're going to bring her on. So, Helen, when Helen saw someone cross the road rather than talk to her mom after her brother died 20 years ago, she became passionate about improving the conversation around death. She went on to publish a book about bereavement for children and worked with the charity Dying Matters to produce a suite of empathy, not sympathy cards. She once trained to be a funeral director and is now a lead content designer at Co-op Digital, specializing in and leading the tone of voice work for funeral care. Helen, welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast.
1: Hello, Christina. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. I'm so happy. Helen, where, where are you right now? I'm in
1: uh, Manchester in the UK, which is where Co-op have their head offices. But I've I've lived here a long time. It's
0: a great place. What what do you like about it?
1: Oh, well, certainly not the weather, but it's (laughs) kind of, it's it's urban, it's friendly, it's easy to get around. I used to live in London, which I loved, but Manchester has a lot of what London has, but fewer people. So that's what I think I like.
0: I think you also have a cooler accent in Manchester. (laughs) That's coming from a Minnesotan though, so, you know. Take, take what you will from that. Helen, I kind of had the opportunity to meet you up close and personal when you submitted uh, your talk proposal for Button, the content design conference, which is Brain Traffic's new event that's happening this October. Tell me a little bit about the talk that you're going to give and, and why the topic is important to you.
1: Yeah, I will. The talk is called Death and Other Difficult Words. And it's a talk I'm super passionate about because it's about... Encouraging people to have honest conversations around death, using the right words, truthful words, no euphemisms, and just trying to encourage people to talk more openly about it. And obviously in content design, so in print, online, in digital products that, that we build and make, but also in, in people's lives as well. I would, you know, at the end of my talk, I always encourage people to, if you know somebody who's grieving, look them up, drop them a text, call them, pop in. So it covers a lot of things, really. And like you mentioned before about how somebody crossed the road rather than speak to my mum, that really had a huge impact on me because I I sort of metaphorically said to myself, I'm never going to cross the road. I won't cross the road if I see somebody walking towards me who's gone through something so terrible, I'm going to go and say something. It doesn't matter what, just something. And it sort of grew. This started as a 10-minute lightning talk. When somebody dropped out of a of an event that we were doing, 10 minute lightning talk, and that was a year ago, and now you know i'm I'm speaking at button and and it's amazing and I, I think people are interested in this topic. I think it's one that you know people want to sort of hear more about.
0: I have told you a couple of times now that when we were sorting through proposals for Button and this topic came across, I literally set it aside in like a special gold star pile thinking, I don't care what other talks are up for grabs. This one's going to happen at Button. And, you know, that's part of what I get to do because I'm executive producer at the conference. But also it has, like so many people, it has an incredibly personal resonance with me, resonance uh, when my mother died suddenly and terribly in 2015. It was, it came out of nowhere. I had never lost anyone before in my life. Not a friend, not a grandparent, not an aunt, not an uncle. It like started with my mom. And it was incredible to me to see the people who somehow knew what to say and the people who didn't. And the people who knew what to say to a person were were people who had lost someone that they loved. And it struck me that I had never used the right language or said the right thing or sort of, what, what is it that we talk about? Like we grieve outward in the circle, right? Like we don't grieve in onto the person who has experienced the loss, that I was really sort of putting my words and my grief on them inappropriately. And and so not only is this an extraordinarily important and personal topic in our everyday lives but then you think about trying to translate that conversation not only to the digital sphere but also as in a company online who is providing specific funeral services to folks who've lost people online it, it is a mind-blowingly complex delicate conversation and i am really curious to hear from you about how you even begin to, how did you even begin to tackle it? You know, I mean, was it that firsthand experience where you were experiencing, you know, here's what people are saying that is that is helping and here's what people are saying that is really hurting? How did you enter into it in the first place, this conversation?
1: Well, I mean, you've, you you hit the nail on the head a little bit there when you spoke about how the people that knew what to say are people that have gone through something themselves. And I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that you have to join that awful club, that's
0: exactly right that's exactly
1: right yeah you don't want to be a part of that but when you've gone through it you you, you are you know a little better I remember just after my brother died a, a few years later because of course the first couple of years are just awful aren't they and, and um I remember I actually actively called up some friends whose parents had died or you know one uh, friend of mine her mom had died and her dad had died before so she felt orphaned and um I called her up to apologize for how terrible I must have been and how I didn't do enough. And I didn't check in enough. And I, know.
0: Did, I did the same yeah. thing with at least four of my friends. This. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. You don't know until you know. And but that that's what drives me to do this, because the more that we can sort of I can do talks like this and people listen to these talks I get some amazing comments afterwards from people that have both been through something or haven't or know somebody who has and I just sort of think this is my way of giving back a little bit from what I learned from from going through that awful grief something good had to come out of it I didn't go straight into doing in into doing this because this was um Andrew died 20 years ago now and I've been working as a content designer for five years but it was something I was always very keen on 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 trying to to, I don't know, To not, you can't fix grief, you can't do anything like that, but you can just give people little moments of light relief in that darkness. And, um, and that sort of felt really worthwhile pursuing for me. So that, that's sort of why, why it's so important.
0: So you have gone on from publishing a book about bereavement, working with the charity Dying Matters, training to be a funeral director and now you're a content designer. Can you tell me a little bit about the path that brought you to content design?
1: Yes, I didn't w- walk straight into content design. I've worked as an advertising copywriter for 15 years. So, you know, I used to uh, write about large fitting bras and wide fitting shoes and in car insurance and you know, how copywriters know a little bit about everything and just uh, that, that was my routine really. I've always loved words. I used to work in radio before that, writing um, radio news pieces. And I set up my own little business selling the sympathy cards that you mentioned, but I didn't ever use the word sympathy because people are not really looking for sympathy. They want you to empathize. So once I was I was doing that and I wrote the little book for children about bereavement, I literally got a call out of nowhere from somebody going, co-op funeral carer looking for a content designer. I'd never heard the term content design. It is a fairly new invention, thanks to obviously Sarah Winters, who I think we both know. And... I didn't really know what that meant, but I turned along and turned up and it was one of the most bizarre interviews. Uh, I sat there with all of my cards, (laughs) all of my bereavement cards that I'd made and all of these things. And I told everybody about my route and how I'd trained to be a funeral director because I honestly thought that was what I was going to be. I thought if I could be a really brilliant funeral director and help people have a good funeral, because I'm also passionate about a good funeral can set you on the journey to better grief. And it's something to look back on. My brother's funeral, I would live it again tomorrow and have him back first. But I would go through that day again because it was spectacular. He was a biker, proper biker, hairy sort, you know, patch on the back. And there were 220 motorbikes going side by side, slowly behind the cortege. And it was one of the most, I've got goosebumps. Every time I think about it, it gives me goosebumps. And that's what made me think, you know, If I could be a funeral director and help people have experiences like that, that would be great. But then you have to be on call and, you you know, you have to work really, really hard. And I have two children and I have a a busy life. So the next best thing for me, really, and I feel so privileged and so lucky, but I I get to write and set the tone of voice for Co-op Funeral Care, which is the largest provider of funerals in the UK.
0: How did Funeral Care realize they needed a content designer?
1: And they've always had, uh, well, Co-op Digital now, Co-op Technology, they've always had content designers. We've had them for quite some time. We were sort of early adopters of um, of that discipline. And I sort of did a bit of a long waiting game, really. I've worked on some digital products for funeral care. I worked on a... um sort of back of house arrangement digital system that I helped I worked with the team and we built it from scratch and obviously the language in there is really important because it's you know we're in national business there are lots of different regions people have different ways of saying things and there are back of house words that you use when you're talking about death and then there are front of house words that you use and I learned so much from doing that and I just sort of hung about a bit and just kept needling people and eventually I was put in charge of the tone of voice for co Funeral Care. I mean, this came, this is like five years I've been at Funeral Care, I and mean, this has all, all happened just in the last year. And, and it's down to, you know, brilliant line management that I have, my line manager, Hannah Horton, who's such a hero, like a content hero for me. And she sort of pushed me to the front and got me there and said, you know, you need to look at this tone of voice work and, and, I, and I did. And it's, it, everybody's come along with me. You know, it was like pushing an open door. Everybody sort of gets it. You know, you don't use euphemisms when you're, when you're describing what's happened. It doesn't make, it, it doesn't soften the blow. It can be misunderstood. So all of those things that I've been saying for such a long time, I now get to say, and I, I now get to help the, um, the tone of voice for cope op funeral care. And I, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm in a really privileged
0: position. Well, so is every single person who is coming across your content, that is clear. Can you, I want to talk a little bit about the services that your organization provides and the audiences that you need to deliver this content to. So can you first talk about the services?
1: Yeah, Co-Hop Funeral Care have uh, just under a thousand funeral homes across the U.K., And so we will offer anything from, you know, a full tailored funeral where you get to choose every aspect from the car, the coffin, all of those things, flowers, you can do whatever you like. And also uh, they do sort of cheaper options as well for people where money is a constraint or there's the David Bowie funeral which is called the direct cremation which is where we will take the body and we will organize a cremation and return the ashes and so you know we do all sorts of services like that and you know I've met lots of funeral directors lots and lots and lots of been into lots of funeral homes and done all the research that, that you need to do to understand this business and I'm moved every single time I meet people that work for co-op funeral care because the Thought And the care that they give to the funerals that they arrange is absolutely astonishing. And that's what you know, makes you want to do a good job for them as well. You're representing them. One of my favourite stories is there's a, a young funeral director called Ryan, who I worked with a lot. He, was, um, he worked on our digital product with us. And he told me how he had to arrange a funeral for a, uh, a young boy. Always really difficult. And he got to meet the family. He met them. They showed him around the young boy's bedroom. And, you know, he sort of he saw that this boy loved red London buses. He had like little models of them all around his room and they talked about how much he loved them. And the family asked for four limousines to take family members to the funeral. And that would cost them a pretty penny. And instead of just getting four limousines, which is very easy to do, Ryan organized a red London bus. So when the cortege turned up outside the house, there's the, the hearse with the, with the, the boy in the back. And then this big red London bus with Ryan with his top hat and his full sort of funeral outfit on welcoming people onto the bus with the boy's name was on the front. Everybody got given a ticket with the, with his name on. And I just think that family is going to remember that moment and that thing and every time. And I work with people who do that who do that sort of thing. Not every day. You can't go that far every day. But, you know, those are the sort of services that funeral directors provide. It's event management, but the most sort of creative, caring, and important event management you'll ever come across.
0: Does that come from, and it seems strange to be introducing this phrase into this conversation, but is that driven by corporate values?
1: I would, yes, I think a little bit because co-op has very very ethical corporate values that mm-hmm. I'm a fan of. One of the reasons why I like to work for the co-op. But also it's the people that want to become a funeral director. It's why I wanted to become a funeral director and almost did is because you can you can come up with ideas like that and be creative but also you know really make a difference, make an impact. So not everybody gets a red london bus cuz not everybody wants <laughs> right. But you know it's what what is appropriate is what should happen. But when I hear stories about that like that from our, coll- uh, our colleagues. I just feel so proud of what they do. And I just think it's, it's incredible.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like my comment needs a little bit more context. I think that what, what I was asking is that I unfortunately have, have had now the opportunity and experience of working with several funeral directors for various members, elderly members of my family. And they are, you know, to a person really just loving, loving, present, respectful, empathetic, I do think in many ways it does need to be a calling. I think that maybe what was interesting, what I was trying to get at, is that to have a thousand of these funeral homes and to be able to show up for families like that to a person, whether or not it's highly creative, that's got to be driven by, to some degree, leadership, right? Like to say, this is what we stand for. This is who we put first. This, you know, versus just let me sit you down at a table and talk you through our high-end line of earns. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and it does. And I also think that, you know, we've we've recently been through a global pandemic and without companies like Co-op, you know, the, the size of us, because I know that for some people, perhaps we're too big for them. They would prefer a family-independent funeral director. But I think without the co-op over the last year and a half, there would have been a national emergency. You know, we have we, uh, our colleagues have gone absolutely out of their way to make sure that everybody got as, as respectful uh, a funeral as was possible within the restrictions. So yes, I do think it comes from the top. And if it didn't, I wouldn't work here.
0: Right. So tell me then about how that value set and how the nature of the services that are provided, how does that inform what gets built digitally? What, what content design is required or the role that content design plays throughout the organization? Talk to me a little bit about it through that lens.
1: Yeah, sure. We've made a lot of changes in the last year because I think sometimes we sounded like a corporation previously. So, you know, the opening line on the on the Cope Funeral Care website a, a year and a half ago used to be we've been arranging funerals for 100 years. And when I came in and was able to look at that and I'm like nobody cares. That we've been arranging funerals for 100 years. They really don't. What they care about is that you can do one for them now today. So we changed that sort of thing to try and make us feel a little bit more personal. And you know, because that's the the, the experience that you get when you go and arrange a, a funeral with Cope Funeral Care is a personal one, not a national corporation one. So there was lots of work like that that we had to do. But I'm also I'm so hugely passionate about not using euphemisms and not shying away from what we do. And I always say in my talk, you know, if we can't talk about death as funeral directors, then who can? This is our business. This is what we do. And if you look at um, there's uh, lots and lots of lots of bereavement charities. I'm sure there are in America as well. But certainly over here, every single one of them, even like baby loss, baby death charities will talk about the death of a baby. They will talk about, you know, when someone dies. They will use the right language because it's the right thing to do. And we just have to, that's our evidence base there. I do know that sometimes when people see the word death or dying or dead, it might not make them feel great but then you know it isn't <laughs> it isn't great but it but there's no room for confusion and no room for misunderstanding when when you are um, clear like that in your language and i've spoken to lots of funeral directors and met some agree with me some don't One of the things, one of the qualities in a funeral director, I think, is empathy that we spoke about before. And if somebody is sitting opposite you and they're saying, you know, my mum has just passed away. I think it's perfectly fine for them to say back to, you know, mirror that language in an empathetic way. I'm sorry to hear that your mum passed away. So I wouldn't tell people how to speak. But as a voice, as a funeral care business in the UK, we need to speak with one one clear voice and the most important thing is to be understood and to help people get through the journey of arranging a funeral from A to B and I think I often like to say that we we don't I don't like to say that this is going to be difficult as well we did used to say that across our site we know that arranging a funeral can be difficult well grief is difficult arranging the funeral doesn't have to be because that's what our colleagues are here for that's what we're here for so if we you know if you go to the dentist and they say to you this is going to hurt you're going to flinch so we don't set ourselves up as saying this is going to be difficult. So there's lots of different tonal changes that we made throughout this last year to get our language in a, in a certain position. And um, I'm really proud of it at the moment. I'm really proud of how we do it. But I would never tell a funeral director how to speak. I just I just wouldn't.
0: Mm-hmm. I wouldn't
1: I wouldn't say to them, please don't use that language. It's mm-hmm. it's for them to know.
0: Mm-hmm. How And that to me is an interesting conversation slash conundrum when we are looking at sitting in because you're essentially centralized services for a distributed organization right and and it is interesting then when we start talking about sort of more like the enterprise content strategy level. And we start talking about content systems within design systems. We want to create consistency of language. We want to create a unified front. I often say, you know, your customer or your user doesn't care if they're hearing from you on a website, on the phone, via a text, they expect the same organization to show up. And so it's interesting to me that you are making space for, are making room for, it, and have you know that trust with your with your funeral directors to say this is the kind of topic where we're not going to give you talking points here. Like this is you've trained for this. This is your this is your space. We're going to let you shape this conversation and use the language as it flexes with the person who has who has suffered the loss.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the right thing to do. I think we, yeah, like the word trust is useful there because I think we have to trust the funeral directors that work for us to know how best to speak to somebody when they're grieving sitting in front of them.
0: So talk to me then about the content design work that you're doing. You're working on the website, I assume. Yep. yep. And you're working with, you have digital products that are also available?
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. We're very busy. <laughs> We're- <laughs> yep. Yes, we're we're working on a, a number of things at the moment. The roadmap is looking very full. We've just introduced something where you can now pay for a funeral online, and you couldn't do that previously. And and now you now you can you can go online. And but we've got lots of things in the in the pipeline. I'm not always sure what I'm allowed to talk about and what I'm not. But you know, we we worked on a, a digital product a few months ago. It launched in January, where a customer can come to our site or a client can come to our website. And if they don't want to speak to somebody, because people don't always, they can go through, we call it the funeral online planner. So they can go, they can talk about, put in the name of the person who died, they can put some details in, they can pick a coffin, pick a hearse, pick some flowers, tell us which uh, local funeral home they want to use what crematorium put some songs in there, hymns and and all of their things and then that will just shoot off to their local funeral director who will give them a call and arrange everything for them Uh, so that's That's one thing that we're working on at the moment. I was sceptical about that, Christina. I won't mind admitting I wasn't sure that this was the one area in our lives where we didn't need human interaction. But it's been used successfully end to end about 600 times since it was launched in January, which I know is not a huge number. But but it's huge. It's bigger than I thought it was going to be. I think there is an appetite for people to self serve. There is an appetite when you know when you when you're grieving, your mind wakes up at three a.m. and uh, maybe that's the time when you need to start making decisions about what hearse you want to choose or what route the cortege should take or what in your mind could be buzzing. So if we can have this sort of online space where people can make those decisions and 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 talk to their funeral director without having to see them personally, then then that's a good thing.
0: And it sounds like when you are crafting that content, whether it's the UI content or positioning copy, marketing copy, whatever it might be, that you're erring on the side of clarity and directness. Is that right?
1: Every time. Clarity, directness, brevity, people haven't got time to read a lot and their cognitive load you know we we can't overload them when when they're distressed the the funeral is the ultimate distress purchase it really is there's there's nothing else really like it so we have to make sure that we can tell people really clearly really quickly what it is they need to do that's why that's why euphemisms are a bad idea they get in the way So, yeah, absolutely. We have to use the right words. And I would never use the word deceased in a client facing environment. But we do use the word deceased in back of house because it's a, you know, a singular noun used to describe a thing that needs to move from place to place. But I would never allow that word to be used in a um, client facing environment because nobody wants to think of their person as deceased. So there are lots of little rules where I become a brick wall and, you know, I won't allow certain things on the website. And I think that's the right thing to to do.
0: how Helen, when you first came to the organization, I'm going to assume just the fact that it said we've been we've been arranging funerals for hundred years, mm. that you may have encountered some flowery language, some very sympathetic language, or some we're going to couch what's difficult in softer language. How in the world were you able to talk to this company that's been around for a hundred years and convince them to lead with clarity and brevity versus sort of trying to care for people's emotions?
1: Well, I think I can be very persuasive, and I can also be uh, be a very uh, tenacious, and I didn't let it go. And I and I think that a lot of, a lot of people got got there too you know all of my team understood and a lot of people a lot of funeral directors understood so it was it wasn't as difficult as you might think but I still I had I was asked to proof a piece of printed collateral the other the other day that was going to be sitting in funeral homes and the first line in there was we are so sorry for your loss and that's in a printed piece of paper that's going to go home with somebody and Immediately, I rang somebody up because I think it was soon to go to print. I'm like, "You've got to take that line out. That you can't say that. It's disingenuous. You know, this. If the funeral director wants to say that to them in person, that's absolutely fine. But a a corporation the size of Co-op, even if we weren't the size of Co-op, even if you were like a small family-run funeral director, for somebody to read that on their own, like away from away from an individual expressing that that sorrow." I just think it feels disingenuous because funerals cost about £4,000 as well. So yes, we're sorry for your loss, but we're also grateful for your business. You know, you have to be very careful when you're saying that sort of thing. But, um, But I think everybody was ready for change as well. I think that funerals have changed a lot. I think attitudes are changing really swiftly. Um, Funerals, you know, they haven't changed for hundreds of years. Everyone dressed in black, everybody in mourning, everybody. We call that the Victoria, the Queen Victoria effect, because she was in mourning for 30 years. And an interesting fact as well is it's also sort of suggested that one of the reasons why so many funeral directors were men in the last sort of hundred years was because when Queen Victoria saw her husband, Prince Philip, dead, she said, this is no, nothing for a woman. A woman shouldn't see this. So then all of a sudden, what used to be a very much a female profession became very male. And, and now that's still your image. I'll bet you when you think of a funeral director, you think of a tall, greying, older man, perhaps. But that's changing too. There are lots of really progressive, exciting female funeral directors coming to the fore. And that really excites me about, about where it's going. And... I think funerals are more colourful perhaps some people you know I think it's too blunt to just say that they've become a celebration of life because I think aspects of funerals can be celebrations of who that person was but they they are still can be very sombre and very sad and difficult days so I wouldn't want to be so sort of flippant and say that funerals are now just a celebration of life, because I don't believe that. But they are changing, attitudes are changing, and language is changing all the time. And not only do we have to keep up, but I think we have to lead. And that's what I think that we're we're doing
0: with these tone of voice principles. Talk to you about those tone of voice principles quickly. How how are those, how are they documented? How are they shared? How do you help people? Continually embrace and and put you embrace them and put them into action. What are your what are your methods or or working norms that help to inform that?
1: Okay, well, we have a our tone of voice principles sit within our brand guidelines that are given to any agency or anybody that comes to work for us. But in the last sort of six months, I've run maybe about eight or. 10 training courses so when people come to write for us I I give them a little bit of a a version of the talk that I'll I'll be doing at Button to explain the background as to why it's important to get this right why it's important to not use the euphemisms and all those sorts of things and get people to really care about it. Um, In fact even when engineers join our team Several times now we've had like changes, you'll get a whole group of engineers that come roll off on a project and then join a project. When they come, I mean, they, you know, used to just writing code and one bunch came from Sky Bet. So they had been working on a betting website and I could see them all when they were they were working away, just code, 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 taking tickets off the board, producing code and, and making things happen. But I did. A, I did a talk to them. I took them through what it what it's like to arrange a funeral. Because I'm, even people that write code, I think it's important that they are connected to what it is that they're writing and what they're doing and who it's for. And so I will do. I've done lots and lots of coaching, lots of training. And I'm also really available. I'm happy to read over anybody's work and I'll I'll proof something for you. I'll give you a second eye on it. And I'm happy to be involved because I. I think it's really important. I am lucky, I think, though, because we've got a great team of writers, you know, co-opers really embrace a content design discipline, like I said. And I think there's a lot of people really care about it. So quite often I'm pushing an open door. But I think, I think people are bought in. They get it. Language changes. It evolves, doesn't it?
0: Clarity and brevity and kindness. They're just crucial to this business. Helen, we are just about out of time. I think what I'd like to wrap with is I'm gonna ask you a question that I'm pretty sure a lot of listeners have top of mind and it is not directly to do with content design. Mm -hmm. I, moments before this interview, I had swung by the corner market And an old neighbor of mine just two weeks ago, suddenly lost her 28 year old son in a freak accident. And I had sent an email. I had thought, oh, I need to call, but I want to give them space. I know they've got a lot of people in the house. And here I ran into her at the checkout line at this corner market. And Mm. I just started openly weeping in front of everyone, Mm. which is, you know, you don't want to be the one crying while they're standing there comforting you, obviously. Like Mm. that's not appropriate. And I, having gone through, you know, unthinkable loss myself, all I could say was, this is impossible, and I love you, and I'm so sorry, and this is just an impossible thing. It's, it's, not, it's not okay. And I didn't have any other words. How, you know, do people come to you and you say, God, what should I say? When somebody dies, what should I say? Yeah,
1: I think what you said sounds absolutely Right. I think it's okay that you showed emotion. It doesn't matter, maybe you wouldn't have wanted to be at a checkout, but um, I think it's really useful that you show emotion about about that. And I think one of the cards that I wrote when I had my little business, it just said, I don't know what to say, so I might not say much. I just want you to know that I'm sorry. Because there are things that, unless you're a really clumsy and unempathetic individual, and there aren't many of those, you're not gonna say anything that's gonna make them feel worse. You are not going to remind somebody that their child has died because they've never forgotten that. So I think going up, acknowledging it and, and just saying, I am so sorry to hear about and then say their name because people don't say the name of someone when they've died and it's really important because the person who misses them wants to hear that name wants to feel it wants to feel it in their own mouths in their own ears they want to know that they've been remembered so I think going up and just doing that if you can't think of anything to say just say I don't know what to say I just know just I'm so sorry about what happened it is I think what you said sounds perfect it is utterly rubbish and completely difficult and um saying something is important. I also think that the really important time to check in with people, because you're right, in those first few weeks, or in the first few days after like an accident or a death or something, that it can be busy. It can be busy. You can have a lot of visitors, a lot of flowers coming. And my goodness, do you need that? And you know, you really need that to fill your time when you're when you're feeling so hurt. And But it's after. It's after the funeral. People come to the funeral, very respectful, very wonderful. Lots of lots of love. Funerals are such a loving loving time. But it's a couple of weeks after. The phone stops ringing. People stop popping round, and they don't want to mention it in case they upset you again. And I I feel like the most important thing that you can do is this friend of yours that you saw at the checkout. Call in on her in a month's time, or in two months, six months at Christmas. Make sure she's okay. Say you know it must be really difficult at Christmas without. Say their name. Uh, and I think it's that there's. I think we need to look after people longer when they're when they're
0: hurting. So that's some
1: advice that I would give. But absolutely, say something.
0: That advice is just a, it's just a gift. Thank you. Thank you so much, Helen. I can't wait to hear from you again and see your smiling face again at Button, which is happening in October. And if you also want to see Helen speak at Button, you can go to buttonconf.com and check out our, our full lineup there. Remember Helen, Helen was my number one. Don't tell any of the other speakers who may or may not be listening to this podcast. Thank you so very much for your time today, Helen. It's an honor to speak with you and I can't wait to see you again in October. Thank you so much.
1: I can't wait to see you. Thank you.